Hey guys, this is Cody Turner. I'm still on the road here at William & Mary. The trip is beginning to wind down. People are evacuating and heading off into the abyss of summer. It's been awesome catching up with people the past five days or so and meeting some new people as well. I'm taking the pod on the road starting tomorrow. I'm going up to Washington, D.C. and hopefully spending a couple of days there, I think. So the pod life is real. In this very special episode of the podcast, I speak with my longtime friend Sarah Collier about poetry. Sarah graduated from William & Mary as a part of my social class last year, but stayed an additional year to obtain her master's degree in education as a part of a teacher training program at William & Mary. And she just obtained that a couple of days ago, and has actually been teaching the 8th grade full-time the entire past year as a part of the program. Sarah is an OG. We've been through a lot together the past five years or so. And as we say at the end of the podcast, this truly does mark the end of an era for us and for everyone in our William & Mary cohort. You know who you are if you're listening. It's been a long road, and there's no better way to commemorate it than with a poetry pod. Sarah and I cover a lot of ground here. I won't attempt to give a complete summary of the topics that we touch, but to provide you with some idea, we discuss our views on poetry as an art form, we talk about how we discovered poetry and how it relates to other artistic interests we possess. And then we have a live poetry performance session in which we read poems from some of our favorite all-time poets and talk about them afterwards. And this culminates in each of us reading some of our own poetry on air at the end of the episode. So, without further preamble, I present to you, my friend, Sarah Collier. <laughs> Welcome to Tent Talks, a series of intimate conversations with academics, artists, and other fascinating figures with your host, Cody Turner. No storm coming, Mr. Wayne. And we're live. I'm still here at the College of William & Mary, and I'm here with my friend Sarah Collier from freshman year. Sarah, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. <laughs> so we're going to have a discussion about poetry and we'll read some poems by some of our favorite poets a lot of poems a lot of poems <laughs> this could be a 10-hour podcast yeah we've also already like recorded this podcast but without a microphone yeah multiple times today yeah we've already had a lot of really good conversations that we should have caught on audio but we'll continue to create magic <laughs> So the first question I want to ask is, why do you like poetry? Okay, so... Because you and I have really, this has kind of been one of the cornerstones of our friendship. We've both been in a poetry yeah. since freshman year and have continued to share our poems with one another throughout the years. We've had a lot of conversations about poetry throughout the years. Mm -hmm. And we also were in a poetry class together in college. That was an awesome class. I love that class. Yeah. Creative writing. Um, but I guess if I had to answer that, I'd have to like start from the very beginning and I think the very beginning for me is my junior year of high school and I just had this amazing teacher who was also my teacher for my senior year of high school one of my favorite classes I've ever taken AP literature um, but I don't know I, she just we read a lot of um, American poets a lot of imagist poetry um, which I'll read some of it today and um, it just really clicked with me, like the way she read it and just how the conversations that stemmed from those poems um, just really were 
profound to me. And I actually, I started writing poetry around that time as well. Um, cause I was, I was just entering into my first relationship. Um, and I guess, I think I just like, I don't know why I wrote, I had this like great day with, um, my boyfriend or I guess he wasn't even my boyfriend at that point but I had this great day with him and I just like sat down and wrote a poem about it and I don't know what on earth possessed me to do that I think I just was having all of these like emotions that I had never felt um before was that the first time you've written a poem on your own accord outside of the context of the classroom yeah um I don't think I ever even wrote any poetry in a class I I think I did my Early on in high school, we had, like, a poetry writing exercise. And we also did, like, poetry out loud. But it was, like, British literature. And so it wasn't, like, as, like... I I think I just really connected with American um, poets more. But we had, like... We we did, like, one of those kind of, like, fill-in-the-blank type poems. Like, I can't even remember what it was, but... I remember yeah. doing that, but it was like, and it, they were cut, they were cool poems that we all read, but they all sounded the same because we were using this like formula. Um, so was this the beginning of a habit for you after you had written this one poem? Yeah. So you being really emotional or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Well, actually what happened, so I wrote, I wrote a poem after this like day I had with um, this guy, but then I lost it. And then that led me to writing a poem about how I lost the poem and then being like kind of... um, Then a poem about how I lost that poem. (laughs) (laughs) But it was like, it was like something like, you know, I lost this poem. Um, That means like feelings can be lost too. That kind of like relationship. Hmm. Um, And so I I already started kind of having these like maybe more cynical feelings about relationships, Hmm. even from the start. But anyway, so that's because your, it's so powerful. But you realize how fleeting it can be. And yeah, how and I also, I've evaporate. always been, yeah, I've always been a very aware person of like, I have all these big feelings, but I'm also like a senior in high school, and I know that like that's stupid, and everyone thinks it's stupid, but like I don't feel stupid, but I feel like I should feel like I'm keep stupid. your feelings to yourself. But, you know, like I'm just like I'm having all these really big thoughts, and I didn't know how to like figure them out without just writing poems so you you needed some medium yeah so I wrote a lot of poetry um late high school um early college and then that and then after that I kind of just stopped and I haven't really written much other than our class that we had Mm -hmm. uh, which was our junior year right was it our junior year yeah I think it was our junior year junior spring um and yeah so that's kind of where I'm at right now but I want to start picking up writing again writing poetry at least um so you'd say that you like poetry just because it serves as this kind of outlet through which you can funnel your emotions and just all of the emotions that are encapsulating your current life yeah I mean I think at this point that leads so all of that stuff kind of built up to me just like really valuing poetry as as an expression of self um, and I, I felt, I found a lot of connection between poetry and dance, um, for me because I, I viewed dance as my form of major form of self-expression and you've been dancing for your whole life, my much, whole right? life. Yeah. Like two and a half to really now. I mean, I haven't danced in a year really, um, just because of school ending. And but, what kind of dancing? 
ranging from ballet to contemporary, modern, um, in college, but I, I've done it all. I've done tap, jazz, even some hip-hop, um, and you've done a lot of choreographing your own dances as well. Yeah. And so senior year of high school and then my junior and senior year of college, I choreographed works that were in shows. Um, and that also was a really big deal for me. And I viewed the writing process very similarly to choreography in some ways because I wanted to tell a story um, but make it really clear to just, like, any person watching, like, I think my my dances were, while I grappled with some abstract ideas, I tried to present them in a way that, like, just anyone who wasn't familiar with dance could watch and understand or, like, get something out of it. So the first dance that I choreographed my junior year um, was about, like, looking at the stars to gain meaning or like to understand who you are except but then like the second part of the dance was like realizing that like we are within the stars like we are in space like even though we're looking up like we should be looking around us as well to understand um ourselves that actually stemmed a lot there is no ground ground like we're also we're we're ultimately just in space as well right yes exactly um and so And it was also, at the same time, just about, like, you know, looking for God in space or, um, or just using science to understand the universe and who we are, so that kind of tension as well. Um, but that stemmed a lot from, in part, with my poetry writing, I, like, bounced ideas. I wrote a poem that was based off my dance, actually. Mm. And then, um, it also... It also stemmed a lot from my Hinduism class, my intro to Hinduism class. How so? Um, because it talks, they talk a lot about like Atman, which is like, that's like just the pervasive universe and like, it's God, but it's also just us. And like, they have this like, kind of idea that is in within their religion of like, to understand the beach or like, to understand like something big, you just have to understand the the grain of sa- or the grain of sand or like the universe is contained within the grain of sand the universe is contained within us like we are in the universe and to, just to understand yourself is to understand everything and so that's like that's what meditation is and that's what like reaching nirvana is is like you fully understand your place and you as a like who you are and so then therefore you understand everyone or everything is it connected with this idea of a universal consciousness? I'm not sure if it is or not, but the idea that there's ultimately just kind of one world consciousness and we're not really distinct low keys of consciousness, but we're all just kind of a part of this larger cosmic soul? Or is that not precisely no, the idea? No, I think, I think that could be related in some ways. Hmm. Like there, I don't know if it's arguing for like this one consciousness or if it's saying just that like we are all... I guess, yeah, I guess it's saying we're all little pieces of a one big thing. Right. Is that, that would be the same thing, right? Yeah, yeah, I just, uh, I know that that's kind of a familiar idea in Buddhism, and I know Buddhism and Hinduism are kind of, are connected in some ways. I actually did a podcast with Mm -hmm. a friend of mine at Yukon who specializes in Buddhism and Hinduism, and he was kind of illustrating some of the connections between the two. So, yeah, that's kind of where the question came from. Yeah, yeah. 
Anyway, sorry, that was like kind of a tangent. No, that was a good that's poetry. A, yeah, that's a good tangent though. But but like, you're just talking about I how all think, these art forms are connected. Yeah, and I, I I just think movement is very similar to to just like because like the way you construct just different gestures is like the way that you construct different words mm-hmm. to to create meaning. Right, gestures like when you're on the dance floor. Or right. Whatnot. Yes. Who is the first poet that you really fell in love with? I don't, that's hard. I don't know if I had like one single poet that really Who's one of the earlier ones that you remember really gripping your imagination? I mean, and I'll, and I'll talk about like his specific poems, but William Carlos Williams, um, the imagist poetry just really struck me. Mm. Um, but I also, I, I really... I really liked T.S. Eliot a lot, and I still I still really love T.S. Eliot. Um, April is the cruelest month. <laughs> yeah. The love song of J. Alfred Prufrock is, like, maybe my favorite poem ever. Yeah, it's a great poem. Um, there's just so much contained within it. But... For me, it was Whitman. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it was... And we talked about this earlier, but it was really the free verse that attracted me with right. Whitman. yeah. And we're both really into free verse. Yeah, we're both really into free verse just because I like art that really isn't constrained by rules. And in particular, as I said earlier, I just like the art of spoken word. Mm -hmm. Like I was saying, I don't really perceive there to be any clear boundaries between hip hop and poetry. People create these conceptual boundaries and they view the world through those conceptual schemas. They're like, okay, this is poetry, this is hip hop. Two different art forms. Right. I'm like, no, I just like the art form of spoken word. So you're the one that are creating these boundaries. And this is why I don't understand why poetry isn't cooler. Why it's not more fresh. Why people have this kind of negative stigma towards it. I mean, I kind of understand why you grow up in the classroom and you're just forced to kind of memorize lines with Shakespeare. Uh But I think it should be cool in the same way that hip hop is cool. Yeah. And that's why I really like someone like Billy Collins, who's made a concerted effort to try to bring poetry more to the mainstream. Um, and that's another thing I like about poetry, the colloquialism. Yeah. Because that's really what enables the common man to engage with it. Yeah. Can I respond to that real fast? No, I'm going to continue <laughs> on a tangent for 50 minutes. <laughs> Third thing I like about poetry. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Um, well, so I, I guess I should tell the listeners that I just finished up my first year of, well, yeah. I was student teaching. In we probably should have done that at the beginning, classroom. right? Yeah, like, who am I? Who do even know? Who are you? Get out of my house, stranger. You're in my house. <laughs> I am in your house. Um, yeah, tell, tell well, the listeners a little bit about yourself. Who is this okay, mysterious so, yeah. dance poet? Girl. Yeah, so I'm Sarah Collier, as Cody said, um, and I've known Cody since freshman year of college. Did you already say that? I may, I may have, but it's okay. <laughs> it's been like 30 minutes. <laughs> no, um, Feels so much longer. I know. No, it's it's been like five probably. We've known each other since freshman year. We already said like, you know, we've taken some classes together. We just, we've been, we've been best friends all of those years of college. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but me, as just my own self, is um, I'm from Richmond, Virginia, so not far from here. Um, went to a private school for, for high school, and then obviously went to William Mary. Um, and I just graduated my fifth year master's program in the School of Education. I was an English major, um, but then I just got my degree um, in secondary English education. So I'm now certified to teach 6th through 12th graders. Um, throughout college, I was really busy all the time, as Cody you were. can attest. Um, because Sarah was involved in all kinds of things on yeah, campus. I did, I did Orcasis, which is their dance company, modern dance company, um, which is where I choreographed some of those pieces I was talking about. And then um, what else did I do? I was in Rocket Magazine. I was editor-in-chief my senior year. Um, it's like the most like, popular magazine on campus, I'd say? I, I'd say the most popular magazine, and it's the only fashion, arts, and yeah. photography magazine on mm-hmm. campus. Um, so it's a very like, hip magazine. Very hip, a little maybe too hip sometimes, just in its like own... A little too hipster. Well, no, I think it's just like... they. Since we're the only art publication... Uh, not art publication. Um, like... I guess just photo and fashion is really its mm-hmm. only um, difference between the others. But And you were the lead editor at that magazine? I was the editor-in-chief my the senior editor-in-chief. year. Yeah. Um, and I, I joined initially to write. I wrote, and then I uh, started doing like production stuff, and then I moved yeah. up to editor-in-chief. But Which you were really good at. Yeah, I mean, I think it, I think it worked, out, worked out well. I think we made some good stuff. Um, but it's it's a it's just a, it's a really cool creative outlet on campus, but and, and then I also what else did I do? I was in APO, which is the service fraternity. Mm-hmm. Um, that was just the door opening. Yeah, keep going. <laughs> um, don't, don't let the ghosts distract you. <laughs> uh, I don't remember Get what else I ghosts. did. I worked. I taught dance um, to preschoolers. You tutored, weren't we part of the same tutoring? I tutored my like freshman and sophomore year mostly mm-hmm. um and you've been teaching this whole past year eighth yes graders. and yeah so the end of the day i have just finished up teaching eighth grade um and you were teaching them poetry i did or, that was the last unit that i taught them actually mm-hmm. the last few weeks of my teaching i was just teaching poetry um and so yeah talk that a was bit about awesome that. because um I tried to I try to really emphasize like just the emotion of poetry and like the sounds of words and like what like I opened the class um the first day of the unit and I asked what is poetry and what is not poetry and I just had them like list out what they thought was poetry and what wasn't and so like like I had I talked about to you about this before Mm -hmm. but just like they came up with some funny answers for what is not poetry. But at the end of the day, we just kind of... Um, or just, just random kind of, objects. Yeah, just like not poetry, random objects or like a person's name or like whatever, just dumb stuff. But um, Everything's poetry. At the end of the day, what I said was like, yeah, everything is poetry. So much of writing is poetry in some way. Um, and just emphasize that poetry doesn't really have rules like certain types of poetry can have certain rules but like poetry in its most general sense is like it pushes boundaries in it and it um 
it's really just communicating an idea in in a way that you think is the most effective. Yeah, and this gets back to our mutual love with free verse. I mean, this is why yeah. I really like free verse because it's not constrained by rules. And this has been a common theme in a lot of the podcasts that I've done, the drag mm-hmm. one that I recently did with Benjamin, and just any podcasts where, and that other food for thought one that I had about authenticity. But mm-hmm. what attracts me about art in general is that it serves as a tangible medium that allows you to express authenticity. Right. And I feel like if you're going to try to be authentic in whatever artistic medium that you want, it can't be constrained by rules, right? Like you have to allow mm-hmm. for the possibility just to be uninhibited. So right. if you have to operate within particular structures, like, okay, only seven syllables on line three, remember, right. this yeah. is the form that we're operating within. I'm like, no, I but want I, eight. To, I need eight. To counteract that, I think like... Give me eight those kinds of rules in some ways can help challenge you as a writer. Like Uh, something that I found when we had our creative writing class was we had to like do these, you know, write a villanelle or write uh, haikus or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that pushed me as a, you know, primarily free verse writer of poetry to like really think about how I could use that medium to benefit my message. Yeah. Um, And, and that was in, teaching poetry I had to grade it somehow which was like really hard for me just like F <laughs> I poured my heart and soul into this professor yeah like philosophically I'm like horrible. okay but like at the end of the day there is good poetry versus like not good poetry and um is there well I think any not good poetry can be shaped into good poetry um so that's kind of my like mentality of like teaching writing is like how can I help this writer create the best product that they can um but I had certain like guidelines like I you know they needed to include figurative language because like they couldn't just like just tell me a straight up story with like that it's like it you have to give them some rules because otherwise they won't they Mm -hmm. don't know how to make anything yeah it's kind of like People say, like, when you become really disciplined in life, mm-hmm. it actually makes you freer, in a sense. You're like, oh my mm-hmm. god, you're disciplined? Like, you have no time just to hang out and relax. And yeah. people who are really disciplined will say the opposite. They're like, no, it's because I'm disciplined that I have so much freedom in my life. And I feel like you yeah. can say the same thing with respect to implementing structure and poetry. It's like that structure that allows you to really... Express. Express your creativity. Yeah. But to that, I would say, I want the freedom to impose my own structure. I'm not going to write no, in a I haiku agree. just because this is how people have done it in the past. Right. I can give myself my own challenge by saying, okay, every third line, mm-hmm. I'm going to implement this kind of alliteration or whatever. Right. So I can give my own myself that own challenge from above and still kind of have uh, control over the creative reins. Right. And I think, and yeah, I think it's more about just teaching writers, like, what are these what are these rules used for? Like, why is alliteration effective? And when would you want to use alliteration to be, to make, to make a point? Um, But back to your, like, way earlier thing you were saying about just why poetry isn't really, like, cool or Mm -hmm. popular is while it has a lot of connection to hip-hop and um, things like that, I think a lot of the time people aren't thinking critically about what they're listening to in music. Um, like a lot of it, you know, a lot of popular rap right now is like, you know, mumble rap or like rap that doesn't really have, um, a clear 
or like worthwhile message but like it's fun it's not poetic rap yeah it's it's fun it's just like entertaining um but and i think it's i think it's a really big challenge for a lot of people to just like and a lot of sit down and critically think about like what do these words mean yeah um and like how is this you know how is this metaphor like important to me um but i think making that connection like i think once you teach kid i think part of what's great about teaching kids to um to look at poetry and analyze poetry and understand it Mm -hmm. it helps them then like apply that to like anything else they're reading or listening to um yeah one thing i just wanted to say is i feel like part of the problem is kids feel like they need to arrive at the meaning of the poem. I that's agree. always the no, first. That's the that, first yeah. question that they've been programmed to ask. What does this right. poem mean? And then they get, and it immediately they get really creates, frustrated. Exactly. Yeah, it creates a wall. It creates it's a like, roadblock. Oh, I don't. I like, have no idea what this means at all. Right. So it becomes impenetrable. Yeah. I don't think that's how you should approach poems. I, I think agree. in the same way that the mumble rap can make you just feel really good, and you don't yes. need to dissect it or go below the surface more. It can be the same thing with a poem. It just yeah, ignites true. a feeling within you, and that feeling might be facilitated by the alliteration, the way the sounds interact with the semantic right. content, whatever. You don't need to introspect deeply about it after mm-hmm. you digest the content. You can dig- just digest the content like you listen to a song yeah. and go about your day. No, but for I some reason, people you. don't approach poetry in that manner. You're right. I think you're, I think you're exactly right. I think you need to start at that just what how do you feel about this mm-hmm. what is your emotion what is your reaction i agree yeah. that's that's where you should start and then i think you should push that towards okay now let's like understand why you why that's powerful for you what's impactful about this is it the words that are put together this way or is it just the message or something else like um so that's that's how i shaped my unit i wanted them to kind of i wanted them to react to things and that's why spoken word is really effective in the classroom they had never Mm -hmm. seen spoken word before Mm -hmm. um and i played a lot of different spoken word poems um and they all had like varying reactions to all of them but i try to give like a very diverse selection yeah um and i it was just really powerful and one of the main one of the questions that they had to respond to after we would watch each poem was like how did that make you feel or like what's your what's your reaction to this mm-hmm. um and it was interesting like seeing what how they how they responded to that yeah i really like spoken word too i really like the performance element yeah. Yeah. of spoken word and i feel like it is true there are some poems that just begged to be read out loud you know yeah and it's almost my it's my impression that almost any poem can be elevated with a good performance but perhaps some poems are meant to just stay in the page i don't know some some poems like a lot of like e cummings poetry is like very powerful because it's the way it's like written way, the way it's arranged on the page mm-hmm. yeah, yeah how exactly. it looks i mean that's another that's, that's another thing that's so cool about poetry it's like this poem like it's not just how the words sound or how they um the meaning of them it's literally how they're arranged on the page right it's like where the words are placed and you lose that aspect if you just turn it into a performance right because you can't capture that visual structure yeah yeah so what do you think is the best way to go about making poetry more popular because i'm very interested in that because i'm very into hip-hop and like i said i'm into poetry in the same exact way i just like Mm -hmm. the art of spoken word and i don't understand 
why one is popular and one isn't. Right. And we, you know, we'll probably get into Billy Collins, but Billy's one of my favorite poets because of his colloquialism and because right. in particular when he was the poet of the United States or whatever the official title was, he implemented this program to try to make poetry become more mainstream. So mm -hmm. you'll see poems on subways or if you're flying Delta Airlines, you'll have like a po you can like just have poet read poems mm -hmm. as you're on the flight. So just a way of kind of integrating poetry into the common experience of an average American. Yeah. Do you have any other thoughts as to how to make poetry more mainstream? Yeah, I mean, I think it, honestly, I think it starts in the classroom. Like, not to be a real teacher here, but like, yeah. kids are introduced to poetry, like we said, like Shakespeare or like, you know, just the classic rhymes, um, like, the first ki things kids learn are, like, limericks and stuff, which, like, I get it. It's, like, a very close connection to, like, nursery rhymes, and that's, like, maybe something they're familiar with. But, like, I think just, like, letting them see, like, how po powerful poetry can be and, like, how it can be relevant to their lives and, like, how it can be a way for them to express themselves. Mm -hmm. And then, and then, and, and connect it to the music they're listening to and connect it to, um just the things they're seeing like in some ways like certain memes are poetry like yeah i don't i just like i think they're they're it's more broadening relevant. our conception of what poetry is yeah. not just teaching shakespeare in the classroom absolutely because I, yeah. I agree with you i feel like you're exactly right a lot of this this negative stereotype that a lot of kids have about poetry is ingrained within them the moment they're forced to read their first Shakespeare sonnet yeah. in third grade, whatever. They think, they think that's what poetry is. They yeah, they're like, oh, I don't that, like, like this. Their music is poetry, you know? Yeah, exactly. I also think getting kids to write poetry from the start is also super important for them to understand, like, what yeah. even poetry is. Yeah. And how, and, like, being able, I think being able to read other people's poems can only work if you know how to write one yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's... It, there is just this weird negative stigma. I'll there tell people is. that I write poetry and they're like, oh, you fairy. Like, you know, tell us about your feelings or whatever. That's so ridiculous. I don't, it's just not like a, it's not like necessarily a cool I mean, art form. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah, no, but like, no, yeah. I think it, yeah, it's just seen as inaccessible. It's mm -hmm. seen as inaccessible. Yeah. But I, hopefully that's changing as, as rap and hip hop become more mainstream and and like artists like Kendrick Lamar are like creating like masterpiece albums that like the general pu public is recognizing as like a masterpiece yeah and going back to spoken word that's I feel like spoken word is great because it does kind of occupy this middle position on the continuum between hip-hop and poetry like I said mm -hmm. I don't think there are clear distinctions between the two art forms and I think that's especially salient when you look at something like spoken word poetry because it has that performative element so, yeah, to the ex I think yeah. to the extent that we can make spoken word more mainstream, poetry will become more mainstream, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Do you want to talk about, start reading some poems? Yeah, I do. All right. Um, and say a few words about the poet. Absolutely. Beforehand. Um, you can go first. Okay. Well, I will, I will start with something, a poem that I've already been talking about. A lot which is this is just to say by William Carlos Williams and it's one of my favorite poems it's one of the first poems I read um, in class and it just really clicked with me and it's actually a poem that I taught 
to my students recently um, to help them understand how to write poetry in terms of like line breaks and the importance of line breaks and how that can affect the meaning of a poem. Mm -hmm. But I'll just, I'll read it and then I'll I'll talk a little bit about it. So this is just to say, I've eaten the plums that were in the icebox and which you're probably saving for breakfast. Forgive me. They were delicious, so sweet, and so cold. Snap flaws. <laughs> Isn't that how these things work? Yeah. <laughs> but, okay, so I think the, the greatest... Very short the, poem. Very short poem. The first great thing that I love about it is that, like, a lot of people read it and are like, how is this a poem? And yeah. I just love it because I think that's the point. Um, yeah, this is, this like, this literally just sounds like a note that you would leave on the fridge I mean, and that's what a, it is yeah. in a sense and um so the way i taught it was actually cool because i wrote it on a piece of paper as a letter mm. um and i wrote like dear florence because that's william carlos williams wife um and many um scholars think that he wrote this poem to her and she actually responded to it in a <coughs> poem mm-hmm. um but anyway, I wrote it as a letter, just in letter form, like, Dear Florence, you know, I've eaten the plums that were in the icebox, which you were probably saving, you know, just wrote it the same, but, like, no line breaks. Um, and then said, like, love, William. And I left that on the board, and then my, my students came into class, and they, they would read it, and they'd be like, Miss um, Collier, this guy's a jerk. Like, why? <laughs> They're like, what is, this guy's really messed up. This is the meanest letter I've ever read. And I'm like... I love it's actually one of the rea- most famous poems of the I know, well, I, but I'm like, yes, that is exactly the reaction you should be having. Like, mm. um, I love that it incited that like rage in them because it is, yeah. it is like that's the that's the point too. It's like he's like he's apo- it's like an apology note, but it's also at the same time like he's like, forgive me. Let me tell you how good they were, just yep. so you really know like what I what I stole from you. Um, and I love the idea of presenting the poem outside of the context of a poetry textbook because yeah. their poetry goggles immediately go up when they read right, it within that right. context. And they're like, all right, this is a famous poem. Exactly. So let me try to immediately try to decipher the meaning. You present it to them just as a note and they didn't even realize it was a poem. Right. That's how off their poetry goggles were. Yeah. And so, and, and they just, they get to just respond to it without like... Just visceral response. Yeah. Without feeling like, oh, this is something I have to understand really big, yeah. you know. Um, Where's the metaphor? Where is it? Yeah. So then, the so then I, I had them break that letter up into a poem. And so they mm. rewrote it as a poem. And then I showed them the original. Mm-hmm. And we talked about the word choices and the meanings of those word choices. And so... Um, I think the big thing that we talked about was on there when they broke up the lines, they wrote probably saving on one line. Um, whereas in the poem itself, saving is on a separate line all on its own. And so we talked about the change in meaning that happens when you when you do something like that. Like probably saving together makes it seem like maybe it was a mistake. Like probably saving or like they're just not sure. But saving on the line itself on its own really emphasizes like all right, I knew that you were saving these plums for breakfast, but I ate them anyway. Like, mm-hmm. and so that really, that really does affect the, the, the intent of the, the poet or the, or the writer. Um, yeah, so, so I think that was a big connection for them to make, um, about like what, what the point of poetry is. So that would definitely be an example of a poem that can't be divorced from the page, you would say. In just going some, back to what we were just talking about. I mean, about. in some ways, in some ways. 
but just recognizing that you know it was written this specific way and like yeah. what is what what then is the meaning of that um but yeah so just i love william carlos williams because of the image that he creates i mean he's an imagist po- poet um and how each line how would you define builds. images poetry i guess some of the definition is built into the very name but yeah i think it, say a few it words creates there. a very distinct image but then also just like it it builds up this image as well like as as you read each line so like the red wheelbarrow another one of his famous poems is so much depends upon a red wheelbarrow glazed with rain water beside the white chickens Mm. and so like each line is just like you it it adds to this image like first you have just so much depends upon and you're like okay something big is about to happen like so much is depending upon this everything but then it's like a red wheelbarrow (laughs) and you're like okay you you immediately picture a red wheelbarrow and then it's like glazed with rainwater. you see this like blue the image is just sculpted before your imagination as you read the poem as you read the poem and then beside the white chickens they're there and then it's like the red white and blue imagery or like this so much depends upon also means that each line is dependent upon the next or that each Ooh. image is dependent upon the next or that yeah. the whole poem itself so much depends upon this idea that this image exists because I just created it in your mind. Like there's just so That's much. That's a great analysis, Sarah. I mean, there's just so much going on there that you can talk about. Yeah, there but is. But it's so simple and people read it and you're like, why does this matter? And you but can they... and you can talk, talk about it and decipher the meaning further as you're doing right now. Or you can just let the image be created and enjoy yeah. it for itself. The yeah. image doesn't necessarily have to mean anything. Exactly. Going back to the discussion we were just having. But just, I guess, the meaning of it is what excites me. Or, like, just talking mm-hmm. about, like, the theoretical, like, impact that it has mm-hmm. on, like, Yeah, I really like that is. analysis you just gave. Yeah, thanks. That was nice. But, yeah, those are two great poems by William Carlos Williams. But, actually, there's another one I want to read by him. Okay. And then I'll let you read yours because... Yeah, we'll I'm go back talking, and forth, but, but keep, keep going, yeah. This one is, is kind of different. Um, I just think it's beautiful. So I'm not going to, like, talk about it too much. I, I just kind of want to read it and, like, it speaks leave it for, there. It speaks for yeah. itself. It's called A Love Song. This is by William Carlos yes, Williams. Yes, also by William Carlos Williams. Okay. What have I to say to you when we shall meet? Yet I lie here thinking of you. The stain of love is upon the world... Yellow, yellow, yellow. It eats into the leaves, smears with saffron, the horn branches that lean heavily against a smooth purple sky. There is no light, only a honey-thick stain that drips from leaf to leaf and limb to limb, spoiling the colors of the whole world. I am alone. The weight of love has buoyed me up till my head knocks against the sky. See me, my hair is dripping with nectar. Starlings carry it on their black wings. See at last, my arms and my hands are lying idle. How can I tell if I shall ever love you again as I do now? That's nice. Yeah, that's a good one. I don't think I would have recognized that that was William Carlos Williams. No, it's it's You just read it. But you can still see that imagery there. Like the Mm -hmm. yellow and purple and black and like... Yeah. Just the way he describes just... Very vibrant. Yeah, very vibrant. Yeah, that was a nice one. Yeah. I, I love that last stanza or line how how can i tell if i shall ever love you again as i do now yeah it just i that's just so powerful because it's like in this moment maybe this is the most i will ever like love you Mm -hmm. i don't know 
and I mean it kind of circles back to why you like poetry because like you were saying when you're with your first boyfriend you're having all of these powerful feelings and you didn't yeah. know whether they were just temporary and yeah. Yeah. maybe you wanted to write the poem to eternalize that feeling because yep. the feeling itself might fade away yeah. but the poem can remain yeah. but then you lost the poem which made you think oh no everything actually just fades away and yeah. there's no exception yeah and that applies even with respect to art <laughs> oh man <laughs> right no it's true it's true you're right all right let me give um let me read one from my boy whitman all right this so, is this is cody's og number one yeah yeah sh yo shout out <laughs> <laughs> shout out ww well like i said i think i mentioned earlier in the podcast walt whitman is really what um induced my love for poetry i forget when i discovered him i guess when i was a sophomore in high school i brought Leaves of Grass, which is one of his most famous books. And I pretty much just carried the book everywhere with me, and I still carry it everywhere with me, and now it's completely just battered down by all the different locations that I've taken it. You know, there are grains of sand from when I've taken it to the beach. But there are two things about women that I want to highlight. The first is something that we've touched upon a lot of times in this podcast already, just the, the free expression of aesthetic thought. And the art form being unconstrained by rules. We've already talked about that enough. But the second thing is that Walt Whitman has a tendency in his poems to address a future audience. So he lived in the 1800s, I think. Somewhere, yeah, 1860s, I suppose. Civil War era. And he would address future generations explicitly in his poems. And when I was reading Walt Whitman poems for the first time, I had this very intimate experience with poetry that I didn't think was possible. Because I realized that I was the tangible realization of this future projection that he had hundreds of years ago. And I could really feel myself in a direct dialogue with him because he was speaking directly to me. You know, he'd be like, listen, like reader, 200 years in the future. So, and it goes back to kind of what we were talking about, like with, po like, this is why I like the art form of podcasting, because it, it allows you to create that kind of, uh, intimate connection with this person you're just kind of right. eavesdropping in on this conversation yeah. right so yeah that's that's one thing that made me really fall in love with Whitman for my excerpt I'm gonna read the end of song of myself song of myself is probably Walt Whitman's most famous poem and it's just a very very long free verse poem mm -hmm. and there, there's a lot of things I could say about it but I'm just gonna read the the end of it. This just kind of encapsulates everything that I like about Walt. So, here we go. The past and present wilt. I've filled them, emptied them, and proceed to fill my next fold of the future. Listener up there, what have you to confide to me? Look in my face while I snuff the saddle of evening. Talk honestly, for no one else hears you, and I stay only a minute longer. Do I contradict myself? Very well, then. I contradict myself. I am large. I contain multitudes. I concentrate toward them that are nigh. I wait on the door slab. Who has done his day's work? Who will soonest be through with his supper? Who wishes to walk with me? Will you speak before I am gone? Will you prove already too late? The spotted hawk swoops by and accuses me. He complains of my gab and my loitering. I, too, am not a bit tamed. I too am untranslatable. I sound my barbaric yop over the roofs of the world. 
The last scud of day holds back for me. It flings my likeness after the rest and the true as any of the shadowed wilds. It coaxes me to the vapor and the dusk. I depart as air. I shake my white locks at the runaway sun. I effuse my flesh in eddies and drift it in lacy jags. I bequeath myself to the dirt to grow from the grass I love. If you want me again, look for me under your boot soles. You will hardly know who I am or what I mean. But I shall be good health to you nevertheless, and filter and fiber your blood. Failing to fetch me at first, keep encouraged. Missing me one place, search another. I stop somewhere, waiting for you. And that's the end. <laughs> okay, Walt. All okay. right. <laughs> I see you. I see you, boy. <laughs> Dropping bars. Okay, who's your second one? All right. Um, oh, man, I have so many. I think I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna read this one by Gwendolyn Brooks next. Um, the okay. Bean Eaters, and this was another one I read in school in high school. Um, mm -hmm. And I just, I just loved it. I don't know. Um, all right. And we both have E. e. Cummings, right? Yeah, we both have E. e. Cummings, so we'll do a whole little like. We'll summary. do a Cummings. Let's, let's do him last. Okay. Like, yeah. Yeah. We'll save E. e. for last. Yeah. That mad genius. Yeah. Uh, right. <laughs> right, this is ahead. the bean eaters they eat beans mostly this old yellow pear dinner is a casual affair plain chipware on a plain and creaking wood tin flatware two who are mostly good two who have lived their day but keep on putting on their clothes and putting things away and remembering remembering with twinklings and twinges as they lean over the beans in their rented back room that is full of beads and receipts and dolls and cloths, tobacco crumbs, vases, and fringes. That's it. <laughs> I was just thinking it would be a little ironic if we just tried to give an in-depth analysis of each poem after we read it, just given everything we've said about how the meaning doesn't matter. Oh, no, yeah, I know. <laughs> like, all right, what well, does that mean? Well, it does mean? matter, it does. Well, yeah, yeah, you know, but... I, oh, that, that shouldn't be the first question that you that ask. One, that one actually really is. Um, I just love how it sounds. Like mm. the sounds of the words. I love two who are mostly good. Two mm. who have lived their day. Um, and I love the line remembering with twinklings and twinges. It just sounds good. But mm -hmm. it. I will say that mostly good is capitalized. Mm. Out of everything else. Nothing else is. I just. Do you like, like that fact? I like it a lot. Wait, what did you just ask me? Do you, do you like that mostly good is oh, yeah. capitalized? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or do yeah, you just I hate do. it? Does that just... I love that it's capitalized. Like, it just... Like, mostly good is this, like, title that they have. Why Why those two words in particular? I think just... I think it's kind of, like, the, the central part of... Or, like, the idea of the poem is just, like... It's just this, like, average couple who has, like, a lot of things, like, that they've accumulated in their lives, but, like, they're nothing... Like they themselves are not like important or like special it's just they're mostly good they're just like but the, everything that they have has meaning to them and so like their own lives have meaning hmm. I like that. but also just like that things aren't really a, things don't really matter it's just like you're <coughs> i like the remembering bit it's like remembering that's like what is important are you a Gwendolyn Brooks fan in general? I am. I really When like, did she write again? Which era is she from? Ooh, uh, like, I want to say, like, 
she had a lot of stuff in the 50s and 60s. Like, We Real Cool. You know that poem? Oh, yeah. Yeah. We Real Cool. We Left School. We Lurk Late. We Strike Sweet. Yeah. We Something Gin. We Sing Sin. We Thin Gin. We Jazz June. We Die Soon. Yeah, that one's great. That's a that's a cool poem. Oh, yeah, that is That's a really cool poem. I love it. That also is a poem that I think you need to look at it. Mm Mm-hmm. That's true. Because we is at the end of the line versus yeah yeah i love that one thing i do want to say about that is i feel like you can sometimes partially capture like the visual layout through your words if you emphasize the words in the right way yeah when you You know what i mean yeah like if there's like a cliffhanger on the page and you kind of emphasize that when you're left school yeah yeah but there still is something that's lost in translation but then, like, for example, I think that poem, We Real Cool, needs the context of, like, who Gwendolyn Brooks is. Because she's an African-American writer who's right. writing about, like, black lives and black perspectives. And so right. I think that's, like, significant. You need to know that for when you read certain things. So my next poet is also a poet from the mid-1950s, Allen Ginsberg very much in the same vein as Walt Whitman. And I pretty much discovered Ginsburg right after I discovered Whitman, I think. But I like him for similar reasons that I like Whitman, just unrestrained expression of creativity. And Ginsburg's, so the portion of the poem that I'm gonna read from Ginsburg is Howl, his most famous poem. And, you know, there's so much that you could say about this poem. It kind of captured the general hysteria hysteria that existed in America at that time period. I'm just going to read the beginning. This is how, for Carl Solomon. I saw the best minds of my generation destroyed by madness, starving, hysterical, naked, dragging themselves through the Negro streets at dawn looking for an angry fix, angel-headed hipsters burning for the ancient heavenly connection of the starry dynamo and the machinery of night who poverty and tatters and hollow-eyed and high sat up smoking in the supernatural darkness of cold water flats floating across the tops of cities contemplating jazz, who bared their brains to heaven under the L and saw Mohammedan angels staggering on tenement roofs illuminated, who passed through universities with radiant cool eyes hallucinating Arkansas. I'm reading the whole thing, so get, get comfy. Oh, what? <laughs> no, just kidding. So long. I'll just read a couple more. And Blake-like tragedy among the scholars of war, who were expelled from the academias for crazy and publishing obscene odes on the windows of the skull, who cowered in unshaven rooms and underwear, burning their money. I'm just gonna cut. Burning <laughs> their money. Last I'm time. just gonna pull the brakes right there. I, my last paper I ever wrote in college, it was turned in like a month late, and it was on Howell. And really? I think that was, like, a perfect, like, way to end my college career. Just turning in a paper on Howl really late. And it's, like, it's so, like, it's just a ridiculous paper. Like, like I was just, I was just typing. I don't even know if I even knew what I was saying. But, you know, I mean, you've, been, you've known about Howl for years, so it's probably pretty easy to write just because you have thoughts but actually, about how can I, stored in your can brain. I read my like final sentence in the in my intro paragraph yeah no read that's perfect because Give it, it actually conne- I connected to Whitman I said oh this is perfect you can just say everything that I wanted to say for me with better words drawing from the prophetic tendencies of Blake and Whitman 
Ginsburg frantically celebrates the body and its inherent connection to the soul as an effort to retain a humanness that he fears has been lost. Mm. That was a good line. Yeah, it was. That was you? Props that was Sarah? To me. That was Sarah. Who's, who's this Sarah Collier girl? <laughs> earlier, She's earlier, good. earlier, Cody read a poem and I said, Who is that? And it goes, Me. <laughs> it was Let's just see, him Cody that was Turner. reading the poem. <laughs> Young professional on the rise. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, we're, no, we're going to oh, do wait. that as well. Oh, is this your Chick-fil-A? I think this is my Chick-fil-A. Okay. We'll take a break and we'll be right back. <laughs> we're back with poetry time. Sarah Collier. We're going back and forth, giving some of our favorite poems and just reciting them. I just did Ginsburg and you're up. You yeah. got next on Doc. All right. So I want to kind of connect to that, like, sexuality and celebrating the body. Um, that and Ginsburg celebrates. By, yeah, like Ginsburg does. Um, and go to The Pope's Penis by Sharon Olds, which is a poem that That's I... a celebration of the body. I really connected with in, in, uh, in college. Um, so I'm going to read a poem by her and then I read a poem by um, Philip Larkin, who both of those two poets um, I got really into in college in one of my classes I took. Um, but the Pope's penis, it hangs deep in his robes, a delicate clapper at the center of a bell. It moves when he moves, a ghostly fish in a halo of silver seaweed, the hair swaying in the dark and the heat. And at night, while his eyes sleep, it stands up in praise of God. <laughs> Isn't that an amazing poem? It's so are you, funny. Are you religious, sir? Um, I was raised in the uh, Christian church. Mm. But you're not a deeply religious person. I would say now I'm more of a... I, I don't like labels. Okay, yeah, we don't have to get into huge... So I'm just like, I like... I like thinking about like spirituality and like yeah all of that stuff and having conversations like this like this conversation is like something I believe in you know what I mean I also believe in it as well <laughs> <laughs> it's one of my deep it's one of my deepest held beliefs actually but this I, conversation I think what's, I think what's <laughs> <laughs> I think what's cool about this poem though is just it's that an awesome poem. it's really funny and um yeah. But profound in a weird way as well. It's profound in the in the sense that it's it's talking about the Pope's penis and like no yeah. one has like he has a penis just the same as you right. do. I was gonna say you and me, but <laughs> <laughs> that's not true. You're a woman. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, that's a whole other conversation. That is a whole other conversation. Um, but anyway. Yeah, it is kind of it, a it's slight. Just, it's, it's just a, it's like it's humanizing this like person that we turn into like a. And it's anti-religion in that sense a bit because the Pope is supportedly a messenger from God, but mm -hmm. this poem goes to show that, no, he's just another one of us, just a homo sapien yeah, with no divine contact. Yeah. So that was it. That's it. That's it. She's cool. Um, yeah. But that actually transitions well into the poem I'm going to read from Philip Larkin, a pretty well-known poem. I think I might have read it in high school too, but it's a little edgy, so I don't know if I did. Um, when did Philip Larkin write? Um, this poem was, I don't know, actually, that's a great question. Let me look up. High Windows, published in 1974. Okay. So, 60s, 70s. Almost contemporary. 
Yes. Um, which will transition into our next set of contemporary poets. But mm-hmm. um, another poem I just want to quickly say, I love the poem Obeyed by Philip Larkin, but it's a little long, so I'm not going to read it. But um, I'm going to do High Windows. All right, I'll wait till this bus passes. I feel yeah. like you can probably hear the outdoors. Oh, no, it can. This okay. mic picks up <laughs> right. everything. Cool, cool, cool. All right. <clears throat> High Windows. When I see... Po- <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's a busy world out there, busy. people. <laughs> it's a busy world. Oh, man. Okay. When I see a couple of kids and guess he's fucking her and she's taking pills or wearing a diaphragm, I know this is paradise. Everyone old has dreamed of all their lives. Bonds and gestures pushed to one side like an outdated combine harvester. And everyone young going down the long slide to happiness endlessly. That's going to make noise if you shut that. Okay, keep going. Okay. Um, I wonder if anyone looked at me 40 years back and thought, that'll be the life. No God anymore or sweating in the dark about hell and that or having to hide what you think of the priest. He and his lot will all go down the long slide like free bloody birds. And immediately, rather than words, comes the thought of high windows, the sun comprehending glass, and beyond it, the deep blue air that shows nothing and is nowhere and is endless. Kind of a religious element. Yeah, actually very that similar. As well. It's like religious. It's talking about religion and talking about... Um, it talks about sex and it talks about people and just their people. Like they're not like anything. It just humanizes yeah. what people have previously perceived as divine. But I think about that end line a lot. What was the end line again? Nothing and is nowhere and is endless. Yeah. I love that. I like that too. So it's like that's his religion. Like, yeah. Okay, I want to transition now to one of my favorite contemporary poets, Billy Collins. Yes. And this is going to be... And I have a poem I want to read by him as well. Okay. This is going to be a nice transition because with the with the Pope penis <laughs> poem... <laughs> it's fun to say. It really is. With that, but with that poem, one of the great things that we were talking about it is that it's very funny, but yet profound in kind of a subtle way. And that's one of the things that I really like about Billy Collin, the way that he interweaves humor with profundity in his poems. And Billy Collins is a, he's a contemporary poet. He was like the poet of the United States for some time. And he's very colloquial and he's very funny and he's very accessible. Yes. And for all the reasons that we've been talking about in this podcast, that's why I love him. He just makes great observations. Yeah, and oh. yeah, very observational. And just, yeah, everyday observations, he finds humor and, again, profundity. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to stop speaking for Billy because Billy can speak for his damn well self. <laughs> so, <laughs> so the first, the one that I got on deck for Billy is, the, it's called The Best Cigarette. And... There's so many poems that I could have picked with Billy. This isn't necessarily my favorite Billy Collins poem, but it's just the first one. One of the first ones that came to mind. The best cigarette. There are many that I miss, having sent my last one out a car window, sparkling along the road one night years ago. The heralded ones, of course, after sex. The two glowing tips, now the lights of a single ship. At the end of a long dinner, with more wine to come, and a smoke ring coasting into the chandelier. Around a white beach, holding one with fingers still wet from a swim. 
How bittersweet all these punctuations of flame and gesture. But the best were on those mornings when I would have a little something going in the typewriter. The sun bright in the windows, maybe some Berlioson in the background. I would go into the kitchen for coffee, and on the way back to the page, curled in its roller, I would light one and feel its dry rush coating the dark taste of coffee. Then I would be my own locomotive, trailing behind me as I returned to work, little puffs of smoke, indicators of progress, signs of industry and thought, the signal that told the 19th century it was moving forward. That was the best cigarette. When I would, when I would st steam into the study, full of vaporous hope, and stand there, the big headlight of my face pointed down at all of the words in parallel lines. Okay, Billy. All right, Billy. Can I read? I'm going to read two. I'm sorry. I'm just totally cheating this whole From pick Billy? Five no, that's fine, thing. sir. Um, <laughs> yeah, we agreed to pick five at the beginning. I'm like, all right, Sarah, try to think of five poems. And I'm like, like uh, can I do a quick 100? <laughs> um, but I'll I have two one. that I, 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 there's one I really love and I can't find it. So I'm going to just, I think it's called like Florida in December or something. Yeah. But I, sounds familiar. It's in a book, and I'm, all my books are gone, so there. They're gone? Did you burn them? <laughs> I moved them already, so. Um, so I'm going to read Bathtub Families, and then I'm going to read... Oh, um, great one. Yeah, great one. Of my one which I think is, like, very um, a very typical yeah. Billy poem. Which it I epitomizes think, everything that yeah. Billy is about. Um, but then I'm going to read... Emphasis the, on the B. <laughs> <laughs> Billy is about. <laughs> but I'm going to read The Four Moon Planet as well. Because I just, Ooh, I love that a good one. one. Yeah, they're yeah. so good. Okay, so bathtub families. Bathtub families is not just a phrase I made up, though it would have given me pleasure to have written those words in a notebook, then looked up at the sky wondering what they meant. Like, I just love that. Um, You've done it again, Billy. All right, sorry. No, I saw bathtub families in a pharmacy on the label of a clear plastic package containing one cow and four calves, a little family of animals meant to float in your tub. I hesitated to buy it because I knew I would then want the entire series of bathtub families, which would leave no room in the tub for the turtles, the pigs, the seals, the giraffes, and me. It's enough just to have the words, which alone make me even more grateful that I was born in America and English is my mother tongue. I was lucky, too, that I waited for the pharmacist to fill my prescription. Otherwise, I might not have wandered down the aisle with the bathtub families. I think what I'm really saying is that language is better than reality. So it doesn't have to be bath time for you to enjoy all the bathtub families as they float in the air around your head. Beautiful. Like, he's just... Beautiful. I'm just picturing Such him a good choice, wandering, Sarah. like, the aisle of a CVS, just writing this poem down. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's and just wonderful. It's just so much poignancy packed into an everyday observation. Yeah. He just sees this plastic bathtub toy set and thinks, wow, this is a great meditation on words and, like, yeah. what they mean to us yeah. as, like, just... And, like, you can, like, kind of, like, you can almost hear him giggling to himself yeah. as he writes the, like, yeah, in, like, in, in his tone. Families. Yeah, he's just like, it doesn't have to be bath time for you to like the bathtub families. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but I, I will do the four moon planet, which is, mm. um, he pulls a quote from the notebooks of Robert Frost that says, right. I've envied the four moon planet. Right, so that's like at the beginning of the poem. Mm -hmm. mm. And he says, Maybe he was thinking of the song, What a Little Moonlight Can Do, and became curious about what a lot of moonlight might be capable of. But wouldn't this be too much of a good thing? And what if you couldn't tell them apart? 
Then they always rose together like pale quadruplets entering a living room. Yes, there would be enough light to read a, read a book or write a letter at midnight. And if you drank enough tequila, you might see eight of them roving brightly above. But think of the two lovers on a beach, his arm around her bare shoulder, thrilled at how close they were feeling tonight, while he gazed at one moon and she another. Like... And another thing I want to say about... Just, like, punches yeah. you. Like, it's it's so... It's, like, he's just kind of, like, joking around, like, talking about four moons and, like, responding mm-hmm. to another poet, talking about pale quadruplets, which is just yeah. a great image. Um, but then he just hits you with that last stanza. And with Billy, a thing that he does that he's mastered at is he kind of lulls you into the depth of the poem. He'll start yeah. out by just yeah. kind of cracking a couple of funny observations. You're like, haha, I like this guy. I want to follow him and see where he goes. <laughs> and, then he, and then he just leaves you abandoned in an alleyway. You know, he leaves you abandoned in profundity. That's what he yeah. does. And but just you're just disappears. sitting there just thinking about like... Exactly. I'm just imagining Billy taking you by the hand and just leading you down. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, Billy Collins, one of my favorite all-time poets. My favorite contemporary yeah. poet for sure. Yeah. Anything else you want to say about good old Bill? No, I don't think so. But I will say that's a good transition into one of my favorite contemporary just writers, I guess, is Marina Keegan, who is not only um, a poet, but she also wrote short essays and short stories, and she went to Yale. Um, And then she was killed in a car crash. Um, What was it, like... A few days after her graduation. A few days after her graduation. Um, but she, her writing just perfectly captures, like, this age that we're in right now. Um, and this poem that she wrote, Bygones, um, like, just changed me my senior year. And, like, in, or maybe not changed, but just, like, perfectly wrapped up everything that I was feeling that yeah. year. Um, because it's about just, like, being a being a college student and feeling like you don't have any time left but that you have so much time left and it's yeah. just this weird duality of feelings that like are con- like just clashing um every every day and didn't she give the graduation speech she at Yale she and she was conveying the same message that she you're didn't just talking give a, about she didn't give a graduation speech um but she wrote I have the book right here mm-hmm. she wrote um this thing called the opposite of loneliness that's the name of the book that's the name of the book but it's also the name of the the essay that she Mm. wrote and it was published in like yale's like uh, some kind of like newspaper or journal or something and it's a beautiful essay and it conveys everything that you're just talking about yeah just the message of you know we feel like there's still so much life left ahead of us that we don't realize, but we feel like we're like at the end of everything, and it's this weird and, and juncture. Like, aside from the fact that she died, which is just and that's it's, the tragedy it's, of it's, it. It's, it's it's tragic and it's just ironic in like the deepest sense of that yeah. she wrote so much about how like we had we so, have so much, much time, time left, left, and then she was killed. Yeah, but, she was killed um, right after. But God. she has a perfect voice for being for being a college aged writer like it's it's because you don't want to sound like too old and too like yeah you know like you think you're you know everything but it's also like 
I'm just trying to express how I feel. Yeah, again, there's a very there's an authenticity and a humility. Yeah. In her writing, and it, it's worth mentioning she was killed in a car accident. Did you say that? Yeah. She was visiting like her boyfriend or something. Her boyfriend was driving. Her boyfriend was driving. And he did not die. And he didn't die. Which is also just a horribly sad, tragic story. Um, But I want to read... Can I read all of Bygones? It's kind of long. Yeah, go for it. All right. Because I this like she deserves it. Yeah, she deserves it. This is my this was like I read this so much my senior year. Like I I showed it to everyone and I it's it's just so important to me. So and and that's another thing I want to briefly say about poetry is like poems also you don't know when they're gonna hit you the most and like sometimes a poem's just gonna be like what you need in that in that moment and like the you perfect might, medicine. Yeah, like, you might not have ever read it. Like, if you if you had read that poem, like, you know, a year later, you might not have, like, you know, connected with it as much. So, like, right. I think I think this poem especially is just, I connect with it so much right now. Um, and I it's going to have, it's going to hold so much meaning for who I was in college. But, like, yeah, when I'm... A part if of I, yourself is encapsulated in the poem. Yeah. yeah. But if I had read this for the first time when I was 30, it wouldn't relate to me at all. And I wouldn't, right. I wouldn't care about it. So it's just, that's another... Like, silly kid. Yeah. Yeah. But it's just, like, another weird thing. But, okay. Bygones. I had a dream the other night that I was checking my email. That dream sucks. And woke to woes of seniors writing love songs for tomorrow and tomorrow and the melodies that flirt us forward, whispering the next thing and the next thing. And so we beat on. Birds, Birds blocking south until we circle round and realize maybe, maybe all that running wasn't worth it. Maybe we should build a cabin, or teach high school, or use our hands. My palms are smooth as words, weak with fashion and double spaces. I want everyone else's club and job and class, the grass I sleep in always browner than, than that around erasing dreams, to sit and breathe, because you only bang for two years, then it's over, and 22 is nothing new. It's just another chance to build for when we're 23 and 24, and time begins to sell for more than any 9 a.m. to never. We're not stuck. That's the thing. We're not stuck. We owe no one our nothings. Yale will be what it was. Gothic dreams of lucky, of amazing. Not a staircase or corner corner office contract. At home, I walk in forest fields, orange light and dry trees, becoming slowly sleepy and disgusted with my vintage shoes and the thinness of my skinny pants. My florals laughed at by the flowers, whispering hip, whispering there's no sidewalk that cares. But let me tell you, I look cool at parties and success sufficient to make men fall in love as we smoke again and open wines and text to leave because the here is never good. And I hear that thing on chapel was fun. Well, do you want to leave soon? Who's there? Do you want to leave soon? I want to bake my blackberry into blackberry pancakes and live wireless with a husband who runs in the mornings and lots of books and a baby who I raise to be anything or nothing because that's okay too. Because working in a bookstore and having babies and nothing and being in love is okay, too. Ambition is a choice. Ambition is a race we chose to run so we could get here. So we could, I don't know, so we could save poor people or invent something or be in charge. Last winter, I slept in word counts, face pressed to tabletops until the snow came and the sun rose and a man came in to vacuum the floor. And I'd be tired, not just sleepy, but tired. Tired until all I wanted was to do was to put something on acoustic and romantic and vacuum castle floors. 
Why do I feel like I can't do that? I'm not sure anymore if I want to schedule meals and be late and delegate because that's what good leaders do. And I'm tired of justifying with tomorrow's bliss because yesterday's tomorrow is today and someday the sun is going to die and then the human race will end and I'll still be texting to see if that other party's better. Do you want to leave soon? No, I want enough time to be in love with everything. We're too smart to sell our time for cocktail moments of this is what I've done and summer's lost for three lines on a document that can't contain the time we got high on pancakes and built a snow fort. We're not that young. We've always been young, but now we're not that young. And the world is so beautiful. And this is what we've got, you know? This is what we've got. And we'll just keep flirting forward, shrinking fonts and grays and love songs to future companies who may decide they want us on their team. The middle of the universe is here, is tonight. And everything behind is a sunk cost, lost in our oceans, and our oceans are deep. So I went to Yale, so I got good grades. So we beat on, birds flocking south, until we circle round and realize maybe, maybe all that running wasn't worth it. Or the snow comes, and the sun rises, and the vacuum starts, and I cry because everything is so beautiful and so short. Wow. Brutal poem. Just really gets me. I, do you want to leave soon? No, I want enough time to be in love with everything. Yeah. I love that. And it really and is it's so relevant to where we are in our life because we're the precise age that she was at when she wrote I'm that. 22. Like, I'm, I'm 22 right now. I feel like there's weird. just... I'm, I'm just searching for words in my mind to try to follow up with that and just some I commentary. I think you can just leave it. Like, there's nothing I, I can like, say. It's just... There's nothing I it, can say. It perfectly captures everything. Yeah. Not just sleepy, but tired. Like, I was so tired last year. Like, just tired. Yeah. It's just, it just kills me. It's so good. Everyone listening to podcasts should buy that book, The Opposite of Loneliness. Yeah. The poem isn't actually in the book, but you can find her. Um, what was the name of that poem again? Bygones. Um, and you can actually watch a video of her reciting it. It's actually, she performed this as a spoken word poem. Um, I gotta look that up and watch that. And I actually just wrote down, or I copied, I think I found a copy. Someone had written it down. That's the first time really I've heard just a spoken word. the poem. Because I think you, you put me onto it and I read it. But, but I never, never actually, actually heard oh, it. Oh, wow. And yeah. there was just another level of power just hearing you read it out yeah. loud. I read it to a lot of people last year. Like, me and my best friend Charlie, we were, like, driving one night, and we were just talking about, like, time and college and just where we were at. And I was like, can I just read you this poem really fast? And, and yeah. I read it to her, and she she got it framed for me. She We have the exact same copy of it framed. Which was It's one really of the most nice beautiful gift. poems I've ever heard. Yeah. And I, I don't say that lightly. I really don't. And it, it's super contemporary. It's very much like a, you know, it, and it, it's a little dated at one point because it talks about Blackberries, like Blackberry phones, but oh, yeah. I love I it. I totally can't relate at all now. <laughs> no, I mean. <laughs> yeah, but you're, you're absolutely right. It, it does really just directly connect to where we are. And if yeah. you're older, you wouldn't. Um, okay. Anything else you want to say before we move on? No, I think we can move into E.E. E. Cummings, which is like a weird jump, but I think also... Yeah, E.E. E. Cummings... E.E. Cummings is just... And then we'll end by each reading our, some of our, our own poetry. poems. Yeah. yeah. All right, you can take the floor first with respect Ooh. to E.E. E. Cummings. So E.E. Okay. E. Cummings was on both of our 
lists top. as our top lists. lists. Yeah, that we wanted and, to mention in the pod. And really, just E. Cummings, like I will any poem I read by him, I'm just blown away by how much I love it. Like it's just, I don't. He epitomizes taking art to the boundaries and pushing the boundaries, yeah. and just again not letting any rules constrain him i mean he's he, not yeah. not letting the agreed upon words in the english language constrain him yeah. i'm gonna make up my own words mm-hmm. because i think those words will promote the vision of my poem more so than the words yeah, that we've like, agreed upon what is the meaning of these like weird sounds put together like, yeah. and he just it's so cool he's so cool and he really, for me, E. E. Cummings epitomizes what we were talking about earlier. Just the act of listening to a poem and just letting it viscerally affect you without you thinking too much about it. I and agree. then you can do some post hoc examination about that yeah, response that you Yeah, because there's so much you can unpack. But yeah, just because there's so much profundity just packed into that yeah, little... But at the same time, it's just... I just like how that sounded. Yeah, like, that I just, just liked sounded... how it sounded. Like, I like the flow. Yeah. Like, E. Cummings, I really think about him as a hip-hop artist you know he's dropping mm-hmm. bars in a sense and he is um, but i will say in high school this was the first poet that i really had a lot of fun trying to analyze which is yeah. like a weird thing for a high schooler to even say but like i enjoyed trying to pick apart and like yes discuss and his, this is his words you know a theme for me is Recognizing that the world is just completely fluid and interconnected. Going back to what I said about drag, it's like drag combines so many different mediums and pushes the boundaries on so many fronts. And E.E. Cummings is the paradigmatic example of an experimental poetic artist. Mm -hmm. And there's no one like him. Like, no one has written poetry even similar to E.E. Cummings. You know, like, with the William Carlos Williams poem, you read it and I'm like, oh... I wouldn't have recognized that would have been William Carlos Williams. You can't even have that experience with respect to an E.E. E. Cummings poem. Yeah, you, you know immediately, oh, that's a Cummings poem. Yeah. And if, that's how I mean, original if it is. anyone did try to write like him, it would just be their writing in the vein of E.E. E. Cummings. Yeah, like, you're like, trying to be E. Cummings? What are you doing? Yeah. Be yourself. <laughs> God, he's so good, though. All right, so I'm going to read... He doesn't have any titles, really. You know? And when did he write? I guess we've done this with a couple of poems um, or quotes. But he was uh, what is 20th century is? as well, right? Let me look it up. He is 1894 to 1962. Mm. Mm-hmm. And he was a Harvard That's professor, wasn't he? Did he teach at Harvard? Yeah. Or his father was a professor at Harvard, was he? One of the most innovative poets of his time. I'm just reading his biography. He's I'm not sure if he was. Like... He had some affiliation with Harvard. He went to Harvard... He was, it mm. was his alma mater. Okay. I don't think he taught there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, go ahead. What's your All first right. coming spot? <clears throat> Pity this busy monster, man unkind, not. Progress is a comfortable disease. Your victim, death and life safely beyond, plays with the bigness of his littleness. Electrons deify one razor blade into a mountain range. Lenses extend, unwished through curving where when until unwished returns on its unself. A world of made is not a world of born. Pity poor flesh and trees, poor stars and stones, but never this fine specimen of hypermagical ultra omnipotence. We doctors know a hopeless case if, listen, 
there's a hell of a good universe next door. Let's go. I love the ending so much. <laughs> there's a hell of a good universe next door, guys. Let's go. Like, that's, I think that poem is, a. I mean, they're all good examples, but this is a perfect example of his combination of words and, like, and we were talking about this earlier. He's produced so much content. I'm constantly discovering yeah. new E.E. E. Cummings poems. Each one is genius as the next. Just it's just a it's powerful cool. poetic He's presence. He's so wonderful. He's so okay. All right, what's yours? The first one. Right, we're gonna read more than just yeah. Well, one, we, we need just to do justice to E.E. E. We have to. We have yeah. to. Another thing with E.E. E., he never uses capitalization. Yeah. In any of his poems. Which I love. Something worth. Well, mentioning. he does. He does sometimes. Sometimes. Depending on, like, it's usually, like... And it sticks out like a sore thumb. Yeah. yeah. So the one I have is Somewhere I Have Never Traveled Gladly Beyond. There we go, yeah. That's a great one. Somewhere I have never traveled gladly beyond any experience. Your eyes have their silence. And your most frail gesture are things which enclose me, or which I cannot touch because they are too near. Your slightest look easily will unclose me, though I have closed myself as fingers. You open always, petal by petal, myself as spring opens, touching skillfully, mysteriously, her first rose. Or, if your wish be to close me, I and my life will shut very beautifully, suddenly, as when the heart of this flower imagines the snow carefully everywhere descending. Nothing which we are to perceive in this world equals the power of your intense fragility, whose texture compels me with the color of its countries, rendering death and forever with each breathing. I do not know what it is about you that closes and opens. Only something in me understands the voice of your eyes is deeper than all roses. Nobody, not even the rain, has such small hands. I love it. My, and I remember in high school, we came in the next day to talk about that poem, and one of my friends just says to the whole class, I cried last night reading this poem. Yeah. I love it. (laughs) <laughs> Not even the rain has such small hands. Yes, that line. I love that line. What's your next one? Okay. Oh, sweet spontaneous earth, how often have the doting fingers of prurient philosophers pinched and poked thee? Has the naughty thumb of science prodded thy beauty? How often have religions taken thee upon their scraggy knees, squeezing and buffeting thee, that thou mightest conceive gods? But... True to the incomparable couch of death, thy rhythmic lover, thou answerest them only with spring. What was I'll it? T- I'll talk about that one real fast because okay. I love the, the just the that idea of philosophy and science and religion all try to make something of earth and the world, but at the end of the day, it just it's. The earth exists without any of those things. Mm-hmm. Like, it doesn't need to have meaning to still just have spring. Right. I just love that. Right. These are just concepts that we apply to everything, and the beauty would still exist objectively, even though there's no one to recognize it as beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. There's so many. I'm just looking through my list right now. I have so many. I'm just going to... You know what? I'm just going to pick one at random. And this, it'll be good because all Billy's are good. Or E.E.'s, rather, sorry. So this is called Spring is Like a Perhaps Hand. Hmm. Perhaps. Spring is like a perhaps hand, which comes carefully out of nowhere, arranging a window into which people look, while people stare, arranging and changing, placing carefully their a strange thing and a known thing here. 
and changing everything carefully. Spring is like a perhaps hand in a window, carefully, to and from moving new and old things, while people stare carefully, moving a perhaps fraction of a flower here, placing an inch of air there, and without breaking anything. The weather? <laughs> Nothing gets broken, Sarah. <laughs> I'm gonna do one short one. Okay, do one more. Which is, who are you, little I, five or mm. six years old, peering from some high window at the gold of November sunset and feeling that if day has to become night, this is a beautiful way. If day has to become night, if it must be the case, then this is a beautiful way. Yeah. That's a great one. Okay, so let's transition now into the last segment our own poems. First, yes. let's just summarize the poets that we've talked about. I think that'd be helpful right. just to Where wrap a nice bow. Where did we even start? I mean, we started... I have started... no idea. I don't remember what my life was before this podcast I started, started. I started with William Carlos Williams. Right. Williams Carlos Williams. We talked about him. I got Walt Whitman. Yep. Um... Who did we talk about after Walt Whitman? Allen Ginsberg. Talk, well, you talked about Allen Ginsberg, but who did I? I, I did the Gwendolyn Brooks poem, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, talked about Billy. Billy. Collins. Collins, yes. And we talked about um, Philip Larkin, <coughs> Sharon Olds. Um, is that it? And Marina then Mar- Keegan, Mariah Keegan. Marina Keegan. Uh, Marina, sorry. Billy Collins and... And then E. Cummings. E. Cummings. Okay. So now, let's read some of our own. Alright. Do, I don't know, two each? Okay. I have two selected. Okay. Go ahead. Okay. So the first, first one I'll read the, is yeah. the cell phone one. Um, and this was this was an exercise we had to do. We had to look at something 13 different ways or nine different ways. I think, how many is this? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten different ways. So I didn't mind ten. And so you, you wrote this when we took the poetry class together, correct? Yeah. So it was like, because there's a poem called like 13 Ways of Looking at a Blackbird. By Wallace Stevens, right? Yes. Um, so this is my take on that. And mm-hmm. it's called Cell Phone. Um, and so there, it's 10 little stanzas. So every time I pause, it'll be a stanza. So it's a little like, it's choppy in the sense that it's like kind of 10 different ideas, but they all relate to And that was the assignment, correct? Yes. Where you had to try to... But I think it also works with the choppiness because it's kind of like text messages. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. So cell phone. A flurry of thumbs do what our lips cannot. Secrets stuck forever in a time capsule. Yesterday, 2.38 a.m. We will remember blurry snapshots instead of the smoke, vibrations, collective breathing. Our lives are shards of glass that cut our fingers when all is broken. The glow radiates onto our faces, widening our eyes, dyeing our skin blue. We do not know how to think, only how to search something other than our own minds. We never look into each other's eyes and fall in love. We are too in love with the reflection on our screens. Delete, dot, 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 type dot 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 delete dot 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 type i miss you delete we see faces but can't touch their softness trapped behind a prison of pixelation eloquent expressions diminish down into k it's beautiful sir <laughs> no i've always liked that poem ever since you wrote it when we're in the class yeah 
And I've always been a fan of Cody's poetry, so. Aw. All right. This one is called... And yeah, I like what you did, because I was going to ask you to do that. Just give, like, a brief history behind the poem. Yeah. Like, the circumstances yeah. in which you wrote it, whatever. So this one's called Seaside, June 17th. I wrote this, um, like, three years ago, I think. And... I was just home for the summer and my friend Taylor and I were just going to this water tower in Woodbury every day, just kind of this old water tower that you'd, or sorry, fire tower rather, that you'd hike to. And you could walk to the top of it and just get a glimpse at the whole town of Woodbury. So we just go there every day and write poetry for like two hours and we made a little habit out of it. And it was fun. And this was a poem that was the result of one of those days. So it's called, and I wasn't by the sea when I wrote this, but for some reason I was, my mind was at the beach. Your mind was at the sea. My mind was at sea. <laughs> Seaside, June 17th. Fragments of human imagination grow old in seashells on the Pacific. Why is it this beach makes me think of every beach I've ever been to? Why is my life but a series of beaches separated by water and heavy waves of time? I look down the coastline for a minute and don't search for an answer, but just let the picture of what I see sway my imagination. It's a nostalgic combination of summer music and salty air. It's a world of sunglass reflections and surfers. People travel across America to play in the water. God watches the scene somewhere from a nearby neighborhood. The coastline stretches down unimaginably far to the small river beginnings of a good dream. Snap logs. <laughs> that is a good one. Thank you. Yeah, that was, um, that was one that just kind of, I wrote it in one take, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and it go, in my experience writing it goes back and forth sometimes I'll have a particular vision and I'll just write it in one take and yeah. otherwise sometimes I'll just kind of have like little lines and then the theme of the poem if you will emerges yeah. out of those uh, little lines that aren't necessarily connected to begin with yeah okay what's your second one um my second one is called truths and it kind of speaks for itself. And what was the context in which you wrote it? When did you I write mean, it? Why did you write it? I wrote this How also. Wrote I, al I also wrote this for class, actually. Um, I think the assignment was like, write down a list of things you believe, like rules for yourself. Oh, yeah, I remember like, that. Tr like truths, I don't know. It started then, like as a kind like of this I believe it, poem. Yeah, and then assignment. like mix it all together or something. And Yeah, that was a fun one. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. So this is <clears throat> Truths. Truths by Sarah Collier. By Sarah Collier. I believe that peaches are always bruised and a good metaphor for the heart. In yes ma'am and no sir, even when you want to punch the wall, that the walls of our house are less sturdy than I thought. In sweat, bridges, yellowed pages, trying everything once, never heroin. You should jump, practice falling more. In the gentle rocking of a sailboat, clasped hands in bedtime prayers, the beauty of a stranger's wrinkled face. Time travel exists. Don't change the past. Memories can be erased. Never, never stop trying to save them. Everyone has a terrible secret. I won't tell you mine. I love that. I love the line, memories can be erased. Never stop trying to save them. Yeah. And it, you know what? I, I can't help myself. It ties back to a theme that we've been talking about this whole time. It's like poetry is the act of trying to eternalize these fleeting aesthetic yeah. feelings that yeah. we experience. Yeah, you're right. 
Yeah, that's a great one. Yeah. Um, okay, the next one that I want to read, this is one that I wrote recently, actually. I wrote it, I talk about the time when I wrote it in the poem. I wrote it last August, I guess. And right now I have it titled Technical Assistance. It's a working title. Technical Assistance. I know what it is like to be on the brink of August. When it's, no longer accept when it's no longer acceptable to light fireworks into the sky at one's leisure. When tangible expressions of freedom are best left in the intensity of summer. When the leaves threaten me with color transmutation, and I realize that I'm almost 23, and it's 2017, and time pulls at my heartstrings like an angry child tugging a TV cable out of a wall. And I call every technician in the tri-state area, desperate for someone, to help me turn the miracle back online. Hmm. Yeah. If I look at my poetry from freshman year, mm -hmm. it's so interesting. I was like, my mind was just in a very different state. Mm -hmm. Can I read? That's that? when we started comparing poetry when we were yeah. freshmen, right? This it, was the first. Can I read the first poem you ever read of mine? Yeah, I remember it. I tripped, and I was stunned by it at the time. I tripped and fell. You tripped and fell, yeah. Yeah, I tripped and fell. I close my eyes so I can see. Hold me tight to fade into galaxies. We have pinball machines inside us and snow-capped mountains in our veins. Blink icicles off your lashes. Your eyes dance like waves in the sea. I dive into them. Take my hand and run with me towards crystallized castles and waterfalls in the sky. No longer do we need the constraints of columns and concrete. We can't face the truth and I'm scared I might forget everything I've ever known. Floating in a cloud forever, what does that word even mean? There is always an end. A million thoughts can be pieced together by just one sunshine grin. I love that. That You're right, that is the first poem that I've ever read of yours. And I, we were friends already at that time, but yeah. I didn't realize that you wrote poetry. Yeah, I don't and think I, And you didn't realize that I wrote poetry either, that we were both yeah, in Yeah, that's so weird. Then I think, yeah, I just stumbled upon that poem left it on your desk I'm like who is this yeah who is this mad genius <laughs> yeah and what was do you want to talk just say something about what inspired that poem freshman year because you wrote that um, when you were a freshman in college right? yeah freshman in college um I guess really another relationship in some ways like Maddie right um because I think that's why you saw it I think I I wrote it and I just showed it or I gave it to him yeah I think Maddie showed it to me and that's then, right yeah and then that's what happened but I don't know um I think it was just like a different phase of my life and I was like having all these like pretty deep conversations with a lot of people and so I was just like really in this like very freshman year is a crazy phase yeah crazy time crazy time um and I just liked having like I just liked like thinking about things in a different way right okay sir is there anything else that you'd like to talk about any any other any concluding thoughts on the poetry hour um, poetry pod poetry we've, time we've covered a lot we have i'm not even sure like i don't even know if there's like i'm not sure how we got here and i have no idea where what do you mean we definitely know how we got here <laughs> we started with poetry and we ended it's with pretty poetry. clear buddy <laughs> <laughs> talked about some poets now you're ending um, 
No, I think I think I'm really happy to do this with you. Yeah, thank you for in the first on. like few weeks or few last few weeks, last few days of being here. I guess I'm not even weeks. I'm yeah. gonna be here this. We're some of the last ones. Everyone's starting to move out the past yeah. day or so. Yeah, and uh, I think this is just a nice way to kind of culminate. It is. Our uh, our four five years here. Mm-hmm. Five years here. This is the end of an era, Sarah. It is, and like. It's been a long. It's been a long road. Yeah, and. Um, it's been a long road. Like we said, like we've been friends since the first few days of school. And we'll continue to be friends. We're not just going to I mean, well, this is kind of it. So after this podcast is over, as soon as he, as soon as he turns off the mic, we're just like, we're leaving <laughs> and never looking at door. each other. I see you on the street. Sarah, remember? <laughs> we did the poetry thing. <laughs> All right. Thanks, oh, Sarah. Oh, wait. No, there's one other thing I want to okay. say. Um, I want to send a message to everyone out there listening. Um, That's billions of people, Sarah. Yeah. Okay. Do not ever forget the color purple. Don't forget the color purple. Yeah. And that's that's kind of... It's a beautiful color. That's how I want to end that. Okay. (laughs) Well, thanks for coming on, Sarah. Thanks for having me.